Well, it's a delight for uh, us to be with you this morning. Uh, this is a special place for Bonnie and I, especially for me, because I kind of grew up in this church since uh, my high school years, um, so many decades ago, I guess it's been. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much, uh, kind of on behalf of the 200 plus international workers that you help support. Uh, when you give to the Global Advance Fund or your missions fund, that helps to put uh, food on our table, gas in our tank, a roof over our heads. And so I just want to say thank you so much on behalf of for my family, as well as the other families that the Alliance supports to be able to represent you in places around the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. And uh, thank you for praying for us, uh, particularly in these last couple of years as we launch this new work uh, that is so foreign to us. And so thank you so much for praying and, and encouraging us along the way. Uh, the city of Hat Yai is unlike any of the other places that we've lived before in Thailand. Uh, we've been there for almost two years, and I confess to you, it still doesn't feel like home to me. Most mornings, I hear the call to prayer in the Arabic lang language around 5.30 a.m. I know what you're doing about 5.30 a.m. That's what I'm, I'm hearing. And sometimes that call um, is, has a beautiful cadence to it. And at other times, it's kind of off-key. And, and that's coming from someone who's kind of partially tone-deaf. So you know that is a little bit challenging. I walk out the front gate of our neighborhood and I see women uh, wearing these long robes and their heads are covered except for their faces. Um, I want to make eye contact with them and say hello, just like I would in any other city in Thailand. But I feel awkward as this older white male doing so. I also see the men and they're wearing uh, long pants, long sleeves. Some of them wear robes and caps on their heads. I, I want to raise my hands in this kind of prayer-like gesture. This is called a Y as, we, as you greet one another in Thailand. But that's how the Buddhists greet one another. That's not how Thai Muslims greet one another. As I pass by a group of them, they're sitting at this local restaurant. And as I'm walking in front of them, they just kind of, their eyes kind of stare at me as I go pass by. They look at me as someone who doesn't belong there. Am I really still in Thailand? I admit many times in these past couple of years, it really doesn't feel like it. How does God expect me to share his love and his story with people that don't seem to welcome me or look at me like they want me around? It makes me feel like I want a turtle, you know, kind of crawl back into my shell and, and stay safe. You ever felt like that? Maybe God has placed you in an environment like a school, an office, or a workplace with people that don't welcome you with open arms. They treat your friendliness with suspicion. Maybe they have a different ethnic identity than you do, or they speak a different language that you don't understand. And yet, despite these challenges, you still sense a burden in your heart to want to share, to be a witness of Christ's love to them. But you're afraid. All you feel like doing is kind of crawling back into your shell and staying there. I totally understand that feeling. There's a true story in the New Testament book of Acts about a, name, about a man named Ananias who, who perhaps felt fear when God called him to do something for him. We read about his story in chapter 9, uh, verses 10 to 19 that Nia read for us this morning. Let me just give you a little bit of background about the story before we launch into it. It wasn't long before this that Jesus Christ had died and was resurrected from the dead. And following his resurrection, he commissioned his disciples to take his message about the kingdom of heaven to the four corners of the earth. 
Well, as they went out, some people received their message favorably, while others opposed it. The people who believed their message became followers or disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, you see, at the same time, though, the level of persecution against these believers was on the rise. The Jewish religious leaders of the day were trying to squash a movement of God that was already beginning to happen. There was one particular zealous religious leader, and his name was Saul. Saul despised these disciples who also called themselves Christians. In fact, he received permission from the authorities to go to the city of Damascus, hunt down these Christians, arrest them, and bring them back to Jerusalem where he would throw them in prison. However, while Saul was on the way to Damascus, the resurrected Jesus himself appeared to him in such a powerful light that it left Saul physically blind. Humiliated, Saul's companions led him by hand the rest of the way to the city. And there he stayed for the next few days, not eating or drinking anything. Well, it's at this point in the story that we are introduced to this man named Ananias. And verse 10 of Acts chapter 9 tells us three important facts about Ananias. Just real briefly. First of all, he's a disciple. A disciple of Jesus. Now, the word disciple in, its, in the original language of the Bible essentially means learner. A, stu- a disciple is like a student who learns from a master or a teacher. And I don't need to tell uh, you this. This is maybe something you've heard before this last month as you as a church have talked about this theme that Pastor Daniel's been preaching on, on discipleship. But a disciple is more than just a learner. I have a definition of discipleship, and I know you've gone through different ones, and this is one that I like to use. It simply says this, a person who believes in the person and works of Jesus Christ has committed their life to following his example and obeys the teachings of the Bible. A disciple looks for opportunities to make disciples. Now, we're not told if Ananias was a new or an old disciple of Jesus. The point is, he was not some super disciple. He wasn't some trained theologian by any means. He was simply an ordinary follower of Jesus Christ, much like many of us in this room. Fact number two, God called Ananias to do something for him. I believe God's call to those who are his disciples has both a general and a specific component to it. In a general sense, God calls all his disciples to be witnesses for him. This general calling was first given to Jesus' 12 disciples who walked with him, but then everybody else who claims to be a disciple of Jesus, that same commission falls upon them up until this day today. That's in the general sense. But I also believe that God's call to each of those who are his disciples has a specific component as well. And what do I mean by that? I mean this, that I believe that God prepares the hearts of certain people whom he wants us to meet. God brings these people into our, what's called a circle of influence. He brings them into our circle of influence so that we can become friends with them and so that we might have opportunities to be a witness for Jesus to them. In this instance, God brings Saul into Ananias' circle of influence so that God might make an impact on his life through Ananias. God's calling on my life both had a general and a specific component as well. Since the time I was a ninth grader, I began to follow God wholeheartedly. Even though I kind of grew up in the church, I really didn't take my faith seriously until I was the summer of my grade eight year. So I understood at that time that God's call on my life was to be a witness among my high school classmates. Those were the ones in my circle of influence at the time. A few years later, God's calling on my life became more specific. In fact, in this very building, on May 1st, 1988, 
over 35 years ago, I responded to God's invitation to me to serve as his witness, not only to people here in Canada, but to people outside of Canada as well. I was in high school at, time, at the time. I was preparing to study law. I'd already been accepted at York University, was, had my sights set on going to Osgoode Law School. But the only way I explain it to you is that God slowly changed the desires in my heart, away from pursuing a career in law and instead giving me a burden for missions. Well, today is Mission Sunday, as you've already know, and it's a time when we focus upon what God is doing uh, around the world, and particularly today, Thailand. But I believe it's also an opportunity for God to do something significant and specific in our lives as well. Perhaps there are some of you in this room that God has been preparing or maybe leading to be a witness for him to people outside of Canada as well. So at the end of my talk, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in a similar way that I did. I'm just giving you a heads up right now. Well, the third fact that we learned about Ananias is in this verse is that God speaks to him in a vision. We're not told if this vision comes at night or in the daytime. Um, and it wasn't uncommon for God to give visions to his disciples. In fact, he did it to a number of people in the Bible, such as Jacob and Moses and Peter and John, to name a few. Has God ever given you a vision of himself or of something? God gave me a vision while in Thailand, at least on two occasions. In 2010, God gave me a vision to start an international church in Phuket. And in 2019, he gave me a vision for our work in southern Thailand before we moved back there for the second time. It was during a prayer time with our CMA team in Phuket that God gave me a vision, a, a picture, an image, if you will. And this image was of a waterfall. And the water was flowing in this waterfall kind of in a westerly direction towards the island of Phuket where we had lived beforehand. Well, at the same time, the water was flowing down south to the city, of, the city called Hatyai from the city in the north called Soratani. I believe that this is a vision that God gave me of perhaps of what the Holy Spirit is going to do in the days ahead in southern Thailand. And it's something I'm holding on to to this day. Well, in verse 11, God tells Ananias to go to Judas' house on Straight Street and ask for a man named Saul. You see, because Saul would be there praying at the time. God was very specific to Ananias. There was both a place to go and a person that he wanted him to meet. God still calls individuals to people and places today. God called Bonnie and I to Thailand over 24 years ago. People often ask us, so how did God lead you to Thailand? How did Thailand all come about? Well, for both of us, we had a heart for Southeast Asia. That was the part of the world that we were burdened for. Bonnie grew up in that part of the world where her parents served as international workers with the CMA many years ago, both in Vietnam and in the Philippines. And then for myself, after my second year of college, I went to the Philippines for a year on a short-term missions trip. But if you were to ask Bonnie, um, my wife, where, you know, how did God lead her? She would probably answer you this way. She'd say, as long as there are beaches, palm trees, and the people eat rice, she can serve Jesus anywhere. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yeah. In January, you'll be thinking different. But truthfully, um, God led us to Thailand through our leaders, um, we basically told them that our hearts were in Southeast Asia, but you guys kind of decide for us where the best place for us to serve. Um, you know the needs better than we do. So they first looked at Vietnam as being a potential place, and then the Philippines to work with Bonnie's brother. Uh, but in the end, they decided on Thailand would be the place that they wanted to send us. Well, in Ananias' situation, God tells him to go, meet Saul, lay his hands on him, and that's it. 
What's fascinating about this is that God told Ananias that Saul was having a vision at the same time that Ananias was having a vision. You see, in Saul's vision, he was seeing a man named Ananias come to him, a man he'd never met before, come to him, place his hands on him so that his sight would be restored. That's what Saul saw. Well, Ananias understood that his part was simply to go and lay his hands upon Saul, meaning that he was perhaps going to pray for him. God would be the one to ascend to ultimately heal Saul of his blindness, but Ananias was merely the vehicle through which God was choosing to work. Here's what's interesting about that. God was already preparing Saul's heart before Ananias left the house. God tells Ananias about Saul's vision, perhaps to encourage him about going to meet Saul. And we'll see why in a moment. But there's a significant truth here that I don't want you to miss. When God calls or leads you to be a witness for him, he's already preparing the heart of the individual before you make contact. God goes ahead of you. He, by his Holy Spirit, is already working in the heart of that person. A few years ago, Bonnie told me a story of a fellow international worker whom God called to reach the peoples of Papua New Guinea. And if you've never heard of that, it's right near Indonesia. Well, uh, one of these particular tribes in this country had a, a legend that had been passed down from generation to generation. And the legend spoke of a day when a big bird was going to come and visit their village. And a white man was going to step out of this bird and was going to tell them the truth. That was the legend that was passed down. Well, sometime later, a plane arrived in that village for the very first time, and a fellow CMA international worker stepped out of the plane. And the people ran up and gathered all around the plane and basically said this to him, we've been waiting for you to come. We've come to hear the truth that you have to tell us. God does prepare the hearts of people whom he wants us to meet. That should give us extra um, confidence in being his witness to them. But for many of us, there's a rather large obstacle that stands in the way, isn't there? It's an obstacle that every disciple of Jesus has to face and overcome. I know it's something that I do whether I'm here in Canada or overseas in Thailand. Can you guess what it is? Audience participation time? What do you think that is? Fear. Fear is like this big, ugly monster that kind of stands between us and the person that God wants us to talk to. And that fear monster has... Uh, scares us to the point of paralyzing us, doesn't it? Our feet get stuck, our mouths don't open, and we don't step out in faith like we ought to. I believe Ananias felt fear about going to meet Saul. Now, the Bible doesn't come right out and say it, but it definitely implies it. After God tells Ananias that he is sending him to meet Saul, this is what Ananias' response is in verses 13 and 14. He basically says this, Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority of the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Can you hear the fear in his voice? Maybe I emphasize it a little bit there. But Saul's reputation preceded him and not in a good way. You see, Ananias had heard about this man named Saul. He had heard about all the harm that this man Saul was doing to the followers of Jesus Christ. And he heard that he was coming to his city to Damascus, looking for disciples to arrest and throw into prison. Perhaps Ananias was thinking this, what will happen to me if I go see him? Is he going to arrest me and drag me back to Jerusalem and throw me in prison as well? Ananias had a legitimate, reasonable fear for his life. 
Now, I admit to you this morning that in all of our 20 plus years of living in Thailand, I have never been fearful of losing my life until our leaders asked us to return to southern Thailand and to work among Muslims. You see, in most areas, other areas of the country, Thai people are Buddhists. And never once did I feel like they would harm me because I believed in Jesus and followed his ways. But I wasn't sure about the Muslims of southern Thailand. Let me explain. A uh, little history lesson here. Malaysia is the country directly south of Thailand. And it was a British colony um, since the 1800s until about 1957. Okay, it was a British colony during those years. And in the early 1900s, Britain recognized Thailand's rule over the kingdom of Patani, is what it's called. This Patani kingdom covered the three most southernest provinces in Thailand, as well as the province of Songkla, which is the city where Hat Yai is located, where we've been living. What does this mean? This means that those three, three plus provinces were now forced to be part of Thailand, were no longer a part of Malaysia. The problem is the people that live in those provinces define themselves ethnically as Malay. Well, imagine if you were Malay and all of a sudden some other government forced you to be part of this other country. Would you be happy about that? Well, ever since then, there's been insurgency in the southern parts of Thailand as these people seek to become independent. And there's bombs that still go off from time to time to, to this day. And the violence isn't targeted towards uh, Christians or Buddhists uh, per se. It's really against the government authorities. But as you know, that there's often a lot of collateral damage as well. In the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10, God promises his disciples an abundant life, a full and meaningful life. But Jesus never promised a life without the possibility of suffering. Jesus experienced it. The disciples experienced it. The early people in the early church in the first century experienced it. And today, followers of Jesus experience it as well. It's kind of part of the package in following Jesus and serving him. Now, let me be clear. Violent acts are not the only kind of suffering. It takes many forms. But instead of embracing suffering, many of us prefer to insulate ourselves against it, don't we? We hide we avoid people or places where we're likely to encounter it. We keep silent. And in each of these ways, we give in to that fear. We allow fear to dictate our actions. I don't believe uh, Ananias wanted to go see Saul, at least at first. I could see, saying, see uh, Ananias saying something to God like this. Are you sure you know what you're doing by sending me to meet him? This was a pivotal moment in Ananias' life. The fear may have been in his head, but it didn't make it any less real to him. Was he going to be led by fear or led by faith? It's the same decision that you and I face each and every day in our desire to want to be a witness for Jesus to others. Will fear drive us or our faith lead us? In verse 15, we read God's response to Ananias' hesitation. God says, just go ahead and visit him. God tells Ananias that Saul is his chosen instrument to take his gospel message to both Jewish and non-Jewish non -Jewish or Gentile peoples. Saul was going to carry God's name to people and places that were beyond his wildest dreams. And God was boosting Ananias' faith. You see, Ananias, you don't need to be fearful of Saul because I, God, have got big plans for his life. 
Saul is going to carry my name in the same way that you, Ananias, carry my name to, to every place and person that you meet. This is a good word for us too today, isn't it? As his disciples, we carry the name of Christ as well. It's not something that we need to be afraid of, but rather something that we can be proud of. That God chooses you and you and you and you to carry his name. It's an honor and a privilege to represent and introduce Jesus to other people. Well, I believe that God revealed his plans for Saul's life to Ananias to help him understand that, that this thing that God was asking Ananias to do was so much bigger than he could fathom. In fact, this encounter was not about Ananias at all. It was about Saul and God's future plans for Saul. You see, when God leads us or calls us to do something for him, it's important for us to remember it's not about us. It's not really about us. It's about what God wants to accomplish in the person that he wants us to meet and talk to. God wants to use us to touch others for him one life at a time. Well, Ananias is encouraged by these words of God and he immediately obeys. He leaves his house, goes to the home of justice. He enters his house, lays his hands on Saul and makes this declaration, which is kind of like a, a prayer. He says this, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you are coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias' declaration was a confirmation to Saul that all the events in his life that happened in those previous couple of days were in fact orchestrated by God himself. God healed Saul immediately. And this healing was such a transformational event in his life that he responded by getting baptized right away. Saul's life was never the same from that moment on. There's something else I want to point out to you that I find fascinating about this story. Something that's actually not recorded in the Bible, but it's worth considering. Let me put it in the form of a question to you. What happens to Ananias after this encounter with Saul? Do you know? Well, we don't know. In fact, the Bible is silent. This Ananias is only mentioned once in the entire Bible, in the entire New Testament, in this story. He's never heard of again. Now, compare that to Saul. Folks, the rest of the book of Acts talks about Saul's life, whom God changes his name to Paul, and he becomes, what? One of the greatest church planters throughout the country that we know today as Turkey. Think about this for a moment. God used Ananias to impact one life, one person. And look at the effect that that one person had on the kingdom of God. That one person went on to become one of the greatest church planters and most prolific scripture writers of his day. Church history continues to reveal the ripple effect of Ananias touching this one life. Here's the point. You may never know the effect that one person whom God leads you to meet may make for the kingdom of God. You never know. Well, I realize that this may be an argument from silence, but when God appeared to Ananias in the beginning and called him to go to Saul, Ananias simply could have said no, couldn't he? He could have said, God, there's no way I'm going. I'm not going to risk being arrested and thrown in prison. He could have said that. But to think of how tragic that would have been for Ananias if he had done that. 
You see, he would have missed seeing the healing power of God up close and personal when God healed Saul's eyes right in front of his face. He would have missed um, being a blessing of God to Saul's life and being, he would have missed the blessing of seeing God use him to make an impact in another person's life. And I'm fairly certain that those missed opportunities would let him down a pathway of much discouragement and regret. I heard about a story a few years ago about two preachers. Uh, you may have heard of them. Their names are Billy Graham and Charles Templeton. They were friends and contemporaries in the 1940s. And I'm not sure if this story is true or it was just or it was simply legend, but it kind of goes like this. Billy Graham admitted that he believed that he was God's second choice for the worldwide evangelistic ministry that he led for over 60 years, over six decades. He believed that, in fact, Charles Templeton was God's first choice for that ministry. But whereas Charles denied the calling that God placed upon his life, Billy embraced it. And God used Billy's faith and obedience to share the gospel story with more people around the world than anyone else in all of history to date. But what became of Charles Templeton? Well, he eventually rejected the Christian faith. Now, I'm not saying that just because he denied God's calling on his life or leading in his life, that that led to him denying his faith. But I can't help but believe it was a, at least an element in that process, a step in that process. Because Ananias said yes to God, God used his life to impact Saul, who would in turn become the most influential person in the church in his day. Question. Who are the people in the places that you believe God is calling or leading you to to be involved in? You might be struggling, struggling to say yes to God to go to those people or to those places. Maybe you're afraid of what might happen if you said yes to God. I have this um, painted rock that sits in my bedroom on my nightstand right beside my bed. It was given to me by, by one of my classmates in my, a, a doctoral program I was in. And on the back of the rock, it has a picture of a lion head uh, with this verse from Proverbs 28.1. It says this, The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. This rock reminds me to be bold in my faith, to take risks in my conversations with others, looking for a way that I might be able to be a witness for God to them. Well, maybe this is God's message for you today. Maybe you need to be just a little bolder too. If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, you carry the name of Christ everywhere you go. God wants you to share the story of Jesus with others who he brings into your circle of influence, wherever that might be. So, will you say yes to him? Will you say yes like Ananias did? Because folks, trust me, you will not regret it if you do. I want to invite our worship team to come up again as we close out our service to sing one last song before we're done. Perhaps there are some of you in this room who experienced a stirring in your heart in recent months or maybe as early as this morning that God has been stirring in your heart about the possibility of serving him in a country outside of Canada. Maybe it's for a year, maybe a couple of years or maybe longer than that. Did you know this? that you can do almost any job you do in Canada in another country overseas? Did you know that? Whether you're an engineer, a computer programmer, or a teacher, you can do that job in a country outside of Canada just as easily as you do that here in Canada. 
So why not consider doing that in a country where people have less access and less opportunity to hear the story of Jesus than they do here in this country? Why not consider that? If you sense God's leading in your life, then I want to invite you in just a few minutes to come and stand with me here at the front as we sing this closing song. In coming forward, you're simply saying to God, yes, Lord, I'm willing to go if you want me to. Now, you may not know for certain that this is God's will for your life at this moment. That's okay. But you're willing to go if he wants you to go. Now, I'm not asking you to come forward because I want to embarrass you in any way. Please, that's not the purpose of this. Nor am I going to sign you up for anything, okay? So be rest assured, you're not going to be signed up for anything. This is really between you and God. But I do believe that when we physically respond with our bodies in some way, it has a way of cementing decisions that we make in our minds. I know that was the way for me. I remember sitting in the back, there was about the third or fourth row from the back. As I was a high school student, all of us sat together in that same row. And when an invitation was given to me by John's dad, Dr. Arnold Cook at the time, I remember getting up and coming forward and standing at the front here. I didn't know that God was going to actually take me up on this, that he wanted me to go overseas. I still wasn't convinced of it at the time. But I remember coming up and just standing saying, God, I'm willing to go if that's what you want me to do. So if that's you, I want to invite you to come and just stand with me at the front. Maybe you've come forward in the past in one of these kind of meetings, um, but you're still here in Canada waiting for God to take you overseas. That's okay. Maybe you want to come again this morning just saying, God, I'm still here and I'm still willing to go if that's what you want me to do. So let's uh, invite you all to stand with me as we sing this closing song. It might be easier if folks want to get out and come down and stand at the front here. And just as we, during the song that we're singing, uh, this is a chance for us to declare to God that we will follow him wherever he wants us to go, wherever that might be. And if your heart is saying to you that maybe I'd be interested in doing that overseas for some period of time, then simply come and stand with me here at the front. After the song is over, I'm going to close this in a word of prayer and then Dan Pastor Daniel is going to close off the service and we'll let you go. Uh, thanks for staying. It's a little bit later than we're typically doing today. Uh, but let's sing this song as a declaration to God saying, God, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. Let's sing.